Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church and Pastor Josh LaGrange. This week, Pastor Josh gives an account of the birth of Jesus with a focus on the many witnesses to the birth of the Savior. You can join us by turning in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 as Pastor Josh brings us the message titled, Zacharias Bears Witness to Christ. Luke chapter 1. Uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 67. A little bit of the background and context we'll talk about here in just a little bit. This man named Zacharias, he was the father of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the one that God had called to be the prophet to make the way ready for the Messiah. And we see him speak a word from the Lord telling about some of the ministry of the Lord Jesus. So we're going to read and consider some of this this morning. So Luke chapter 1. Beginning in verse 67, we'll read along and then we'll ask for God's help. Verse 67. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Salvation from our enemies. And from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and on the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Please bow with me and let's ask for God's grace as we study. Oh, Lord, our God, Father, we, we come to you. And every single week that we're here, oh God, we magnify the name of Christ. We come to you in the name of Christ. But Lord, this is a special week. Lord, as we specifically meditate on all of the mystery, all of the wonder, all of the miracle that was involved in Jesus descending from the glory of heaven, taking on flesh, living the life of a man in order to bear our sins. God, help us to feel some of the weight of this wonder. I ask God you bless this time of study. Lord, as we've got the kids in here this morning, I ask that you will give their little minds ability to understand your word, that every soul in here, all of us, oh God, will see your truths, God, and we will be drawn to you, that our eyes will be opened, oh God, and whatever our soul's great need is, Lord, that you'll accomplish it. Lord, in this room, there are those that have never yet turned to Christ to be forgiven of sins. I just beg God that there will be many in this room, oh Lord, that that happens today. And your children, your sons and daughters who have already come to Christ, draw us into deeper worship, oh God. Bless this time. Help me to preach. Please protect what I say. Bless me to teach only truth and in a helpful way and all of us, oh God, to receive. We pray this through Christ. 
Amen. Every fact must be confirmed by two or three witnesses. That's a statement that's made in the Bible. It's repeated numerous times throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. It's a statement that God makes uh, in, in terms of things like court cases. God said that no one was to be condemned unless there were two or even better three witnesses to what was going on. And numerous times God gives this as a way, how do we know what facts were when we weren't there? You didn't see the Civil War. How do you know that it happened? The weight of evidence. This is how we believe anything that we've not seen with our own eyes. And surrounding Jesus' birth, in order to testify, in order to show who Jesus is and the significance and weight of his coming, God surrounded his coming with numerous testimonies coming from all kinds of different sources. Um, as you read through those parts of the Bible that talk about Jesus' birth, which is primarily uh, the books of Matthew and Luke. Matthew and Luke give the account, uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty neat, Matthew from Joseph's perspective mostly, the book of Luke from Mary's perspective, as well as several of the things going on there. Whenever you combine the two accounts together, you see a lot of ways that God provided uh, a word, a, a witnesses, testimony to who Jesus is. So for instance, you've got Zacharias that we're going to talk about today, uh, the father of John the Baptist. There was a time when an angel named Gabriel came to him and told him that he would get to have the son who would be the prophet making the way for the Messiah. So those promises that had been made for thousands of years, even since going back to the garden, when God promised Eve that there would be the coming of the one who would set the world aright, God told Zacharias, the time is now, it's going to be happening and your son gets to be the one who makes the way for that. And then shortly after that, the same angel Gabriel appears to Mary and tells her that she will be with child by the Holy Spirit. She will have the privilege of getting to be the one who, who brings the Messiah into the world. And then if you remember the night that Jesus was born, you had the angels out in the fields and an angel comes and appears uh, to those shepherds that were out there, speaks to the shepherds, tells them what is coming, the Savior has been born. And then whenever that angel finished his message, the whole sky lit up, we're told, with a multitude of angels. And these shepherds see the sky filled with angels all singing worship and praise to Jesus. God sent angels to bear testimony to Christ. But not just the angels, God wasn't done. In Luke 1, the same chapter that we're going to be considering this morning, it's a pretty big chapter, 80 verses, there's a lot going on in there. We see that there was a time after Mary found out that she was going to uh, be with child by the Holy Spirit, she went to go visit a relative of hers named Elizabeth, and that is Zacharias' wife, the mother of John the Baptist. You got this really neat episode there that I, I love the story of. Mary comes to talk with Elizabeth, and the moment that she comes in Elizabeth's presence... Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist as a baby in her belly. And we're told John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb, leaps, leaps inside of her mother's belly and then 
Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and speaks a word of prophecy. And then right after that, Mary is filled with the Holy Spirit, speaks a word from the Lord. If you look at verses uh, 46 there to 55, that's Mary's word that she spoke. I don't even think she understood everything she said. God moved her to speak truths about who Jesus is. Then we see uh, John born. Zacharias speaks this word of prophecy. So you have these Jewish men and Jewish women, even a baby, speaking and giving testimony of Christ. But then God wasn't done. After Jesus was born, we mentioned the shepherds already. Eight days pass. They come to the temple for Jesus to be circumcised in order to keep the law of Moses. And while they're at that temple complex and they're walking around, they encounter a man named Simeon. Simeon had been told by God, you will not die until your eyes see the Messiah. Simeon sees Mary holding this little baby and when he sets his eyes on that child, he's moved by the Holy Spirit, speaks a word from the Lord, says God has brought salvation. The one who will be a light to the nations and the glory of Israel. Joseph and Mary must have found this amazing. And then it appears that the very same day and, and really shortly after this, while they're still there at the temple complex walking around, they encounter a woman named Anna. And she is filled with the Holy Spirit. Whenever she lays eyes on Jesus, she speaks a word. God is just causing testimony and witness all around. But then there's even more. The one that I find the most surprising, what we spent Sunday school on this morning. Sometime later, we're not sure how much time passed, but God sent these magi from the east, these mysterious, strange guys from the east somehow had been shown by God. We still got all kinds of questions about the star and what do you mean God showed them all these kinds of things, but they show up and they declare a message that must have shocked even Joseph and Mary. God has showed us that the king who will rule the nations, the king who will bring the kingdom of God to earth, he's here and it's kind of cool. They show up to Jerusalem and they're like, where is he? Expecting everybody's gonna know what they're talking about. And they're like, who's he? Where's, who are you talking about? And they're like, the king, he's here. Where, where is he? And they find their way there. They show up to Joseph and Mary. They come to the child, really significant moment when they worship him. That's a big point, by the way. And one that even many Jewish believers didn't understand at first. This child was not simply to be honored as a hero. This child was not simply to be venerated for some weird holiday. This is God in the flesh. This is the one who cast the stars in the sky. He has come to earth and these magi come and bow and worship. But you know, you put all these accounts together and look what God has done. Every fact is to be confirmed by two or three witnesses. God's given a lot more than that. God sent angels. God sent Jewish men, Jewish women, even a Jewish baby. God sent Gentiles from another land all coming. God sent angels. There are times that even God from heaven spoke to say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God and creation 
all testifying to who he is. God in creation, all testifying that this child is no ordinary man. He is no mere man. He is the son of the eternal father. The one who casts the stars in the sky and he has come to earth and he's come for a reason. He's come for a purpose. You know, it's a, it's a little bit of a side note here, but I, I do think it applies to our culture, especially. You know, it is kind of weird what Christmas has become. Like, like how it's treated. Like here is the one whom the demons tremble before his name. Here is the one whom the stars in distant galaxies obey his command and he has come here. He's come here and he's come for the purpose of not making a holiday. I think it's a good thing to celebrate that. Here we are celebrating it, but not in the weird way that we do it. The one whom the demons tremble before came to the earth to, like what word do you use to describe fix everything and bring the greatest possible joy to those who come to him? What word do you use for that? Whatever that word is, I think the closest biblical word would be redemption. To bring redemption, the fixing, the setting of all things right, the, the delivering of souls from hell. Here Jesus came to do this and the culture wants to tell stories of Fill in the blank with whatever nonsense comes in your mind. That's weird, right? Heaven and earth bear witness. Friends, to not only who Jesus is, but the weight and the significance of why he came. And I, I want you to feel this deeply. The only soul, the only hope your soul has and the only hope that your children's souls have of escaping hell and having eternal life is through the coming of Jesus the Messiah. That's the weight and that's the significance. And surrounding his appearing, God gave witnesses, testimonies speaking from heaven as to who he is and his weight. We could go through every one of those testimonies and on different Christmases we do. This year, I wanna spend a little bit of time on this one here um, with Zacharias and the word that he speaks there. So let's take just a little bit of time and kind of walk through this a little bit. I told you just a little bit of the story that sets up this moment, but there's a little bit more background that might be helpful to this. This man, Zacharias, he was a priest. And at this day and age, in this period of time, the priests, there were so many in that priestly line that in their lifetime, they didn't all even get to enter the temple. In fact, to do what Zacharias got to do in verse eight, if you flip back to chapter one, verse eight there, where he gets this privilege of getting to do something, you would be chosen by lot. So like your name drawn out of a hat. And it was such a special thing. You only got to do this one time in your whole life. And it just so happens that Zacharias gets chosen at the right time. There's a lot of that in the Bible and life. He's chosen by lot to get this privilege of getting to do this. He would get to walk through that Eastern door and come into that first room inside the temple, what was called the holy place. 
And he got to walk through that room all the way towards the back. And there was an altar to burn incense at the, at the back of there, right in front of the veil, which led into the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. Zacharias got chosen to get to do this. So he walks in by himself. He begins to offer this incense. And while he is there in the holy place, an angel appears to him. An angel appears and tells him, well, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth had been unable to have children throughout their whole lives. And they were now old enough that they had kind of given up hope of that. But this angel tells him, God has heard your prayers. Your wife will conceive and she will bear a son. Zacharias, your son gets the privilege of getting to be the one who gets people's hearts ready for the Messiah the coming of the one. You have, a, you have a special role to play. And Zacharias was a righteous man, so let's not pretend we would be holier than him, but he has a, a moment of some stupidity in there. He questions the angel. He kind of asks the angel sort of like, how do I really know this is going to happen? Like, can you give me some kind of sign? <laughs> okay. <laughs> he gets a sign. The angel then tells him, you will be unable to speak until your son is born. Zacharias spends the next nine months unable to speak. And I think the text may even have some indication of unable to hear as well. And Elizabeth gets nine months of peace and quiet in her home. <laughs> but you have this period of time uh, go by. Zacharias is, uh, excuse me, John the Baptist is, is finally born into the world. And on that day, Zacharias still cannot speak. Eight days pass and it comes the time for John to be circumcised according to the law. And it was a custom in, that, in those times that a baby boy would be named on the day of his circumcision. It's also apparently a custom at this time that friends, relatives, and neighbors got to have some weight in the naming of the baby. I don't think I would like that very much. Uh, Nosy neighbors come in and they begin to tell Elizabeth what they think they ought to name her baby. And she says, no, we're naming him John. And those nosy neighbors then go on to Zacharias and they have to make signs to him, which leads me to, to think, I think he could not hear as well as not being able to speak. But they make signs to him, what do you want to name him? Sort of like, I guess, dad will get the final word here. And he takes a tablet no kids, not that kind of tablet, chalkboard, something like this, takes a chalkboard and he writes on there, his name is John. And we're told at that moment, everyone was amazed. And that moment, that is when God loosed his tongue and not only let him speak, but then actually moved him to speak, gave him a word from heaven to say things I don't think he even fully understood everything he said, but God moved him to deliver a word. He preaches a bit of a mini sermon here. And when you read through it, like many passages of scripture, it can seem a little haphazard at first, but whenever you start to look closely, you start to see a pattern and some points running through there. Um, it's got about 15 beautiful truths in this passage. I wasn't trying to get a nice round number, 15. It's just how many truths I see in the text there. Let me take just a few minutes here and just kind of walk you through the text to see what's being said. Then we'll make a couple points about it. Number one, in verse 68, if you want to follow along, he begins by worshiping and blessing the name of God. What he is about to describe is so marvelous 
so awesome. God is to be rejoiced in, exalted in for all of eternity for what is being described here. Number two, he says, God has come to us. I don't, and this is one of those places, I don't think he fully understood all the weight of what he was saying. God has come to us. Number three, in verse 68, he is bringing redemption. I said just a second ago, if there's one word that describes the full package of what it is for God to fix, to set all things right, a world is in disorder. What, what does it mean for God to put all things in harmony? That's this word redemption. We are personally being redeemed if you are in Christ and this world is going to be redeemed. Number four, in verse 69, he says he has brought honor and glory to his people, delivering them out of shame and humiliation. Number five, God has done this through the house of David. If you're new to studying the Bible, then this next one will help you. Number six, this is something that the prophets foretold would happen. Hundreds and hundreds of prophecies and promises from the Old Testament. And one of them was among that the Messiah to come, the anointed one, the promised one to come would be a descendant of David and take the throne of David. Number seven, this great work from God is him saving all who come to him from their enemies. Now, as Zacharias said that, I imagine in his mind he was thinking people, earthly enemies, like the Romans who were ruling over them. And that is the case. For those who turn to Christ, who run to him for refuge, for deliverance, it is the case. We will be saved from every earthly enemy like the Chinese believers who even in these last three weeks have been persecuted and arrested. The day will come when that stuff doesn't happen anymore. But you didn't understand this. People and even your worst enemies who are people, they're not your worst enemies. This is something that the Bible teaches. Your worst enemy is your own sin. It's just the same as with me. Your worst enemy is what you have done in rebellion against God. People can cause you pain, but it is your own sin that condemns you to hell and makes you guilty before God. This is what you need delivered from more than anything else. Number eight, continuing to walk through this, God has shown mercy to his people by keeping the covenant he made with Abraham, the promises to bless the world through the, the seed of Abraham. Number nine, verse 74, in this work of God, we are freed up to serve God with delight and no fear. Number 10, this work of God in all of this makes us holy and righteous Something that the Bible teaches is without Christ, we are not right with God. We are not holy before him. We are not good enough for God apart from Christ. The moment that you turn to him in the way that the Bible describes, turning away from rebellion and you come to give him a heart of submission and you place your trust, your faith in him. You believe on him at that moment. God makes you right with him. But this also says, if you look at the language of the verse there, 
It's saying that we'll be holy and righteous before God all of our days. That's speaking of something bigger than just being made right with God in a legal or technical way right now. That's talking about another world, another day, a day when we're made righteous and we leave off our sin completely. Number 11, verse 76, John, this little baby just born, he will have a special role to play as this prophet. Number 12, Verse 76, like so many other places in the New Testament, we're shown that Jesus is not just a man. He is the most high. Do you notice that John is called the prophet of the most high? That's name for God. That's divine language. In the same verse, he is called Lord. All of the evidence was there, though at first a lot of people didn't see it, didn't get it. Even the apostles didn't comprehend it at first. Jesus is not just like a prophet from old Moses and David and Noah. These are heroes from the Old Testament. Jesus is not just another David, not just another Moses. Jesus is the one who created Moses and David. Jesus is the one Moses and David bow to in worship. He's the most high. Number 13, John's job would be preaching announcing the work of Jesus, that God is offering salvation by the forgiveness of sins. By the forgiveness of sins. You know, that's a critical truth in every age. Ours included, but I think we could maybe say ours especially. We've got a weird thing in this place where we live, that we have a culture where there are so many, the masses want some kind of connection to Jesus, like want to celebrate Christmas and Easter, want to have some kind of connection to Christianity and like certain parts about Jesus's ministry, but then deny about 90% of what he said. Like we love the golden rule, but denying the part that Jesus talks about, needing to repent of our sins, needing to be cleansed, needing to be forgiven. And so understand this, and this needs to be seen very clearly. The Bible describes dozens and dozens of benefits that come by receiving Christ, by becoming attached to Christ, connected to Christ. Dozens and dozens of benefits. One of them is being delivered out of hell and giving eternal life. That's just one of the benefits. But you need to understand this. You get none of the benefits if you do not first receive forgiveness of sins. That is your greatest need. You have no need greater than that. More than you need oxygen for your next breath. You need forgiveness of your sins to be made right with God. This is what Christ came to bring. And then number 14, if you look at verse 78, and this is one of the ones I want to kind of latch on to here in just a second. Jesus, the sunrise from on high will shine on the earth, giving light. And then number 15, to guide our feet into peace. So let me, let me just kind of draw two things out of that for the, the rest of our brief time here. First of all, notice that this one little mini sermon ties all of the Bible and all of history together in the person of Christ you need to understand that Jesus did not bring a new religion. Christianity, there was not a day that it was a, a new religion. There has only ever been one true religion. It is true worship 
of the one true and living God. But over the course of history, God revealed more and more about how we know him, how we come to him, how we're made right with him. Jesus coming was simply in fulfillment of all that God promised, even though going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Jesus is the fulfillment. God has so designed history. If you get this about Christmas, you're going to understand a whole lot more of the world life and the Bible. God has so designed all of history that everything would be fulfilled and centered in his son. God is working in such a way that all things, all the cosmos, stars in the sky, angels, demons, everything are from him, through him, and to him. There's a verse in Ephesians that talks about the summing up of all things in Christ. God has ordered all of history and all things that Jesus would be the center of it all. I don't know if Zacharias understood all of that, but God moved him to say it. And then secondly, let me call your attention to just one way we're shown this in this passage. This part stuck out to me as I was reading through it and stirred me to worship. Preaching is just basically one beggar telling other beggars where to find the bread. Here's where I found some bread this week and was stirred to worship. Verse 78, look at it again. Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. There's a truth here that God explains with a metaphor. And really a lot of our Christmas songs and even Oh Holy Night that we sang just a little bit ago sees this in the text for thousands of years. Christians have been seeing this. A lot of our Christmas songs mention this aspect, the good ones anyway, a whole bunch of Christmas songs need to die a slow, torturous death. But the good ones oftentimes talk about Jesus as the light or the day spring, the morning star, the sunrise from on high. And friends, there's even an intentional thing in the fact that when the Magi were being led by God, by whatever was happening, whether that was a, a star, a constellation, whether that was a, a planet, people have taken all kinds of guesses as to what was going on there. Whatever it was, there's a bit of symbolism there. This light that shines in the backdrop of darkness, pointing away and telling a truth. Jesus, the light of the world, has come into the darkness to point us to the way to eternal life in him. There's something intentional there. We see it all the way through the Bible. We see Genesis 1 even fulfilled that in the beginning, God said, let there be light and there was light. And then John 1 links this to Jesus, that Jesus is the light of the world. In Numbers 24, one of the prophets of the Old Testament looked to the future and he said this, I see him but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel. That was spoken around 1,500 years before Jesus would come to this earth. In Revelation 22:16, which is in like the last paragraph of the whole Bible, Jesus says this, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. What's this mean? Like, like what's being told by Jesus being called the, the day spring or the morning star? Well, the picture is 
There is a day that is coming. What day? The day. A day that the Bible refers to hundreds of times. A day that's called by a bunch of different names in the Bible. It's called the day of the Lord. It's called the day of redemption. The day of judgment, etc. It's a day that the Bible refers to when all that is in chaos will be brought to order. All the turmoil, all the disorder, all the pain, all the suffering, all the cancer, all the hate. It's all going to be set right. The curse is lifted. Evil is conquered. And God's people walk into the lush green grass of a new world where everything has been set right and only joy exists. It's filled with the glory of God. The metaphor is that this season that we're in right now, this is the season of darkness. This is the season under the curse where the fall into sin has brought chaos and disorder, but there is a day coming. You'll find that kind of talk all over the Bible. This day that is coming, the day when earth and heaven will be made one and Jesus coming to this earth, the light from heaven shining in a dark world was like the morning star shining or like the sunrise when you don't yet see the sun, but it's just starting to kind of turn. But I, I love that. I love that imagery of the morning star. Do you know what a morning star is? It's actually, they're actually planets. There are five planets that depending on where they're positioned in the sky, in the Eastern sky, that right before the sun rises, you don't see the sun yet, but it reflects off of that planet in just a way that for just a few minutes, you get this bright shining. It's not a star, but it looks like a star. People have known that for thousands of years. Venus is one of those planets. It's the brightest. And whenever it's at its peak, Venus will shine nearly 15 times brighter than any other star that's in the sky. So you get this really cool kind of moment. Darkness is beginning to give way to light. You've got that kind of gray, dim twilight that is just beginning to come. And then all of the sudden in the Eastern sky, there starts to glow this really bright light. And what it is doing, and I believe God did this absolutely intentionally. It's kind of like it's announcing the day. It's kind of like it's sounding forth the trumpet saying day is near and that means there's a call to get ready. The morning star is the light right before the greater light. So friends, here's the picture. Jesus came to this world of darkness. He came and he spoke. The most high came to us bringing light, but not yet that full day, not yet that day of redemption, but kind of heralding a trumpet declaring that that day is near. And that day is coming. The morning star is shining. The day is near. And that means there is a call to get ready. Romans 13 says this. Do this knowing the time for it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Friends, this is the call and this is what Jesus came to announce. The call to come to him for forgiveness of sins the declaration of another world, another kingdom, the coming 
day when all will be set right. And the mission of God's people that he's given us in this world is to announce that message. You can be made ready for the day. You'll have a part in that kingdom to come only by Christ, only through the forgiveness of your sins. Friends, the Most High came to this earth. The one who the, whom the demons tremble before came to this earth. And he didn't come because everybody was already in good place with God. If I could just shout one message into every household in America at Christmas, it would be this. You're celebrating the coming of Jesus, but you're denying the reason he came. And that's hypocrisy. That's a contradiction. Our culture wants the baby Jesus, but then denying everything he came for. Denying the cross, denying the blood, denying the repentance. Jesus came, yes, teaching the golden rule, but listen to me, the same Lord of heaven and earth who spoke the golden rule also said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You don't get to want to keep one without the other. He is either Lord of heaven and earth or he is nothing at all, a sham. The baby you celebrated Christmas became a man. He is God in the flesh. And you hear me very carefully. He has no interest in you venerating him as a hero. He doesn't care whether or not you say Merry Christmas opposed to Happy Holidays, or at least that's not the sign of your salvation or what makes you a Christian. Celebrating Christmas does not make you a Christian any more than recognizing what day of the week it is. You become a true Christian the moment you come to him. And you come to him in the way that the Bible describes. The Bible says you must turn your heart to him. To turn away from your rebellion. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from the arrogance of ruling your own life. Turn away from the arrogance of declaring that you get to determine what is right and wrong for you, turning away from any way that you try to rule your own life and coming to him with a heart of submission and then placing your faith, your belief, your trust in Christ. And friends, that can happen in one moment. All over the Bible, we see people made right with God in an instant. The moment your heart turns and you call out to him in prayer, telling him that you believe and asking him to save you, the Bible says at that instant, you will be converted. You will be made into a true Christian. Look, you, you could have come into this place this morning, not right with God, and in the next 30 seconds, become right with God by in your heart responding to him and calling out to him. I, that's the big invitation that I give you. Turn to Christ. Look to Christ. I know this is so different than what you're hearing from the world. The world always with its message telling you that you're already okay. Believe in yourself. Follow your own heart. And Jesus tells you everything opposite of that. Stop trusting yourself. Stop following your own heart and your own rule and turn to Christ. And the promise of God is, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you want this forgiveness of sins? Do you want your place in this day to come, in this kingdom to come? It is for the citizens of the kingdom. 
You become a citizen when you recognize the king. Come to Christ. Look to Christ. Cry out to him and you will be saved. Let's bow for a word of prayer and then we'll dismiss. Oh, Father in heaven, I ask God that you bless all those who are here. Thank you so much for letting us have this time and blessing the kids. Lord, I pray for every soul in this room, whatever our great need is, bring it about. Father, any that have not yet trusted in you, God, I pray they will look to you. Father, and I pray some that have questions, I pray they'll have the courage to come and ask. Pray, Lord, that you will draw all to yourself. Glorify your name. Bless us as we leave. We pray these things through Christ. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great Christmas. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed Pastor Josh LaGrange's sermon titled, Zacharias Bears Witness to Christ. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter at TrueVineIND, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.